Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. What a great sense of God's Holy Spirit's presence this morning and just the hunger that I sense from you today during worship and for God's word. I'm excited. I'm excited to preach that last song. I was like, can I get up there? You know, like I'm, I'm ready to go. So good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Before I dive into the message, I just want to say a couple of things. One is I want to highlight again the marriage seminar that's taking place this Saturday from six to eight. When is it? This Saturday, 6 to 8. When is it? This Saturday, 6 to 8. Yeah, cool. The youth department has it down. Okay? Uh, so 6 to 8 this coming Saturday. And as Clint mentioned, there's free childcare. So uh, there will be desserts and coffee and decaf and water. And so we're just trying to eliminate any kind of excuses that you may have. And I just know that anytime that we can invest in the most important relationship that we have outside of our relationship with Jesus, we should take that step. And so on Saturday, we're giving the entire church an opportunity to uh, invest in their marriage, and Dr. Robert Crosby will be doing a seminar for us. We all read a book, the staff and the board read a book a number of years ago called The Teeming Church by him, and then recently we just reread it again as a staff and board. And he is the director of Emerge Ministries, and it's a counseling ministry. And so he's coming with a wealth of knowledge and experience, and he's going to just impart all that he has uh, into us next Saturday. And so I would encourage you to come. And please bring friends. Invite family. Invite your neighbors. All are welcome. It is free. And so let's pack out this room. Let's move up to the balcony if we need to. I mean, whatever we need to do uh, to invest in marriages uh, next Saturday from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, would encourage you to do that. Another thing that Clint talked about was pastor appreciation. And I just want to say publicly that I am so proud of our staff and I'm grateful for each and every single one of them. Uh, many of you have met PG leading our children's ministry and Pastor Dan uh, did the baptismal this morning, baptism this morning. He's incredible. And Pastor Madison leading the youth in college and and Fisher and Levinsky both uh, having complimentary roles when it comes to worship. And so uh, your cards to them and your encouragement to them, even if there's nothing in it, if it's just a note that says, this is how my kid has been impacted because of your ministry, or this is how a teenager or a college student has been impacted because you served, or this is what it meant to me when Pastor Dan came and visited uh, for, this, uh, for a hospital visit or whatever, as the staff have had opportunities in your life, I'd encourage you to just write a note uh, to let them know how much you appreciate them, and I'm just telling you, like, we have a very strong team right now, and I'm grateful for the future and what God's going to do. Let's express our appreciation to them. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I'll do it tomorrow? Put your hands down. How many of you have ever said yourself, I'll do it tomorrow? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I even heard it this morning. Somebody said to me, I'll do it uh, tomorrow. And so there are things that are far too important for us to put off till tomorrow. And so we've been in a series, this is the fifth week into this, where we're talking about things that are too important for us to put off till tomorrow. And so we're saying and we're declaring we'll do it today. 
In the first week, I talked about the importance of community and relationships and how the enemy would want to attack us in isolation. And so I've encouraged each of us to be part of a small group, whether it's a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study or any of the other small groups that are taking place, encouraging everyone to be a part of that. The second week, I talked about how today is the day to extend forgiveness. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And the longer that we hold on to unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness in our hearts, the further that it hurts us and those closest to us. In the third week, uh, Romeo preached a powerful message that today is the day to trust God. And last week, I preached a, a message called Today is the Day to Dream Dreams. In the book of Acts, it says that your young men will have visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I made a distinction about that last week. And then my aunt must have watched the message. She's a retired missionary. And she texted me something this week that was just straight fire. And so I thought, I better share it with our church this morning. She said, thought I would tell you that young men need visions from God to give them purpose and propel them forward. Everybody say, hmm, hmm, that's good. And she said, old men need dreams to know God isn't through with them. Hmm, that's so good. I said, I wish you would have told me that last week. But instead, it's going to make it in the message this week. And so male or female, uh, old men, uh, excuse me, young men and young women need visions from God to give them purpose and propel them forward. And old men and old women need dreams to know God isn't through with them. And I just believe that's a great word. And so encourage you with that. Today, we're going to continue with this series of I'll Do It Today. In 2010, my wife and I bought road bikes, and we thought this would be a fun uh, thing for our family to do together, to go on bike rides, and we did enjoy it. Uh, in 2012, I did RAGBRAI, and so I had been doing a little more training than she had been doing, and all of a sudden, she got in her mind that she wanted to go from Ankeny to the uh, High Trestle Bridge, which was about a 40-mile round trip. And so we go together, we load the bikes up, and we get to the trail, and on the way, on the trail, we're like, you know, five miles in, and I said to her very kindly, very gently, with no sarcasm, sincerely, like it was very respectful, I said to her, baby, you know that if we turn around right now, it will be the furthest that you've ever ridden a bike. She said, I'm not turning back. 10 miles in, baby, do you realize that if we turn back right now, you still would have ridden 20 miles today. That's the furthest that you've ever ridden. I'm making it to the bridge. Every time I kindly prodded her for us to turn back, only solidified her stubborn desire to see that bridge that day. And so we pedaled all the way out to the bridge. Let me show you a picture of my wife after she successfully saw the bridge. Look at her. We left the bridge feeling a great sense of accomplishment. But Erica learned something that day about conditions. One of the reasons why she didn't want to turn around is because she's stubborn. The second reason why she didn't want to turn around was because the wind was at our back the whole way. And so she felt like superwoman and I felt like superman. The conditions were perfect. The wind is at our back. No wonder she felt great and that she could do it. And when we turned back from the bridge to go back towards Ankeny, the wind was no longer at our back. It was at our face. The thing that made us feel so strong in the beginning was now kicking our butt. 
The thing that made us feel like we had superpowers was now deflating us. I'm not making the story up as we're 15 miles away from Ankeny. We are pedaling at a speed that I didn't even know that a bicycle could still be upright. (laughs) And so I reach out my hand to her backside and I am pushing her the remaining 15 miles back to the truck. If you've ever wondered if we have gone on another bike ride that long, again, the answer is no. The desire was there for Erica. If she could have willed it into existence, she would have made it. But the stamina wasn't there. And I would imagine for those of us in the room today and those who are watching online, we want to run our race of faith and get across the finish line and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But if we've not been conditioned and if we've not trained, then we're not going to cross that mark. In our race of faith, there may be seasons where the wind is at our back and we feel invincible. But there also may be seasons where the wind is at our face and it's killing us. Today is the day to begin conditioning for those of you who aren't and for those of you who have to continue to condition for this race of faith. Paul uses this imagery in in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and kept the faith. There are no participation trophies when it comes to the kingdom of God. The prize that we receive at the end of this race of faith is eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And Paul says this reward is not just for him, but all who have loved his appearing. And so it doesn't matter if you start your race off with favor, uh, with fervor and with faith, you have to cross the finish line with your faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there's uh, this listing of the hall of fame of faith-filled people. These men and women accomplished incredible, mighty things for God. And uh, in, this, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, these people aren't perfect. The Bible outlines and spells out their flaws and failures. But by faith, they accomplished great things for God, and they finished their race of faith. So it's in the shadow of these stories in Hebrews chapter 11, which I would encourage you to read in your own time, that Hebrews chapter 12 is written. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles there this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, it's also going to appear on the screen. And there are Bibles in the seat basket in front of you. If you don't have one, we encourage you to grab it and read along. Verse number 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, it says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there are two elements to this statement. The first part is we can read their stories and know that if they did it, we can make it also. In addition, they're rooting for us to succeed. And so when the greats are watching and we know it, then it inspires us to fight harder, to run faster, and to play our best. 
There's power when we think about this crowd. Nick Baker in between services said that one time he was at this fight and this guy was just getting pummeled. This guy's on his stomach, his face is in the mat, and he's just getting pummeled. And he said all of a sudden the crowd begins to chant for the guy that's getting pummeled. And as the crowd begins to chant and cheer for the guy that's being pummeled right here, he gets up and he beats this guy. That's the power of the crowd. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 says that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I guarantee you that when a high school student knows that a scout is there to watch them play, they play harder. They give more effort than ever before. The reality is whether somebody's watching us or not, we should give our best effort as worship unto God. This passage tells us that there's always someone watching and cheering for us. So imagine with me, if you would, that you're at the Waverly Country Club and now all of a sudden Tiger Woods just shows up and decides that he wants to join you for a round of golf. I know what I would do because I'm a horrible golfer. I'd just be like, it's nice to meet you, really, admire your work, I'm leaving. (laughs) But for those of you who enjoy golf, I guarantee you that you would play harder that day than you've ever played in your life. You would try your best to, to have your best round of golf. If you're playing a pickup game of basketball, which I had to do some research on this, so just so you know, I don't really follow sports, and so sports analogies are dangerous territories for me. My wife follows sports, and so if you want to talk about sports, feel free to talk to her about it. I just check out, I glaze over, and I'm just, anyway, so this, so thinking about a pickup game of basketball, I had to Google who are the top basketball players right now, 2021, and I read this name. I'm like, I've never even heard of this person. And then furthermore, I never even heard of the team that he plays for. (laughs) So I'm having a conversation with Pastor Dan, and I'm like, I guess I'm just going to throw LeBron James into the illustration this morning, because he was number three on the list, and I figured that'll work for people. I said, the first guy, I don't even know, I was like, he plays for some team called the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't even... (laughs) I didn't even know that was a basketball team. So he told me that the guy's name is pronounced Giannis. Okay, so for those of you who follow basketball, if Giannis from the Milwaukee Bucks or Kevin Durant or LeBron James, I think those were the top three, showed up to play a game of basketball with you, you're going to try and ball like it's nobody's business. When the greats are watching, you're going to give your best. And there's this picture that from the author of Hebrews paints that these heroes of the faith observing in order to motivate and instruct the church. They're not worried about their records being broken or out of any sense of jealousy or competition. They're cheering for success. A few months ago, uh, something happened to me that made me feel very alone. Uh, some people very close to me began to cheer for my failure, and the emotion was unbearable. I thought that these people were for me. Some of you maybe have been there. You see, I thought that it would be a good idea to take our staff out to lunch and go bowling as a team building exercise. (laughs) And many of you know that I'm competitive and I want to win and I especially don't want to be beat by a girl. I would say that Pastor Madison is equally as competitive as I am, but then that would show that I'm not beating her in that area. So I will say (laughs) that I'm slightly more competitive than her. (laughs) So I'm bowling and just trying to do my best as an act of worship as unto the Lord. (laughs) 
And I would bowl a strike, and I kid you not, the entire team would pretend like they didn't even see it. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Pastor Madison would bowl a strike, and the whole team is cheering for her. It's like people in the bowling alley are looking over like, is this her first time bowling? Like, why are they cheering so loudly for her? I've never felt so alone. Not only were they not cheering for me, they were cheering against me. So we got to the final frame of this first game. Pastor Madison bowled her nine spare three. And I bowled my nine spare strike. And unfortunately, it was one pin shy of tying her and two pin shy of beating her. She won that game. But have no fear. You can clap for her. If you're thinking about a pastor appreciation gift, you can buy her bowling things so that she can go practice, because the second game, (laughs) the second game, I beat her by 30 pins, so, uh, (laughs) oh, 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 man, it's getting hot up here. (laughs) Oh, so in the midst of isolation, I won. So uh, the picture painted here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, is a very different picture, right? It's a picture of people cheering for your success. Uh, Hughes has a commentary called Hebrews, an anchor for the soul, and this is what he says about this. Everyone, everywhere one looks in the vast arena, there is a kind face-nodding encouragement saying, I did it, and so can you. You can do it. You have my life for it. Moses strokes his long beard and smiles. Rahab winks and gives a royal wave. Your heart is roundly pumping. You are afraid. And with all your being, you want to do well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one continues. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. These two words of weight and sin are listed together, but they're distinct. Not all weights are sin. A weight is something otherwise good that weighs you down spiritually. It could be a friendship, an association, an event, a place, a hobby, a habit, an entertainment. It could be anything. And if this otherwise good thing drags you down, you have to lay it aside. When you fix your eyes on what lies ahead of you, it becomes clear that all of these things are worthless, pure trash that's just distracting you from what truly matters, which is Jesus. And so this verse says to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And the sin that we're especially commanded to lay aside is the one that clings so closely. Another translation of this says the sin that so easily entangles us. There are specific sins in each of our lives that, uh, as individuals that we're most likely to commit. There are some of you who are tempted in areas that others are never tempted in and vice versa. And in your life, what is the sin that you keep going back to? The sin that keeps tripping you up or clinging to you? The writer of Hebrews says to lay it aside. When you think of this race analogy, when you're running a race and you lay something behind, I've been to, uh, to a number of 5Ks and, and greater than 5Ks that Erica has been a part of to cheer her on. And one of the things that I noticed at the event is that they'll hand out water bottles to people who are running the race. And so as they run by, they'll grab the water and they'll keep running. And then what do they do? They discard the bottle and then they stop and go, oh, wait, I need to pick that up and carry that with me. No, that's not what they do. They discard the trash on the side of the trail and they continue with their race. 
And they don't stop in three-fourths of the way in their race and look back and go pick up the trash. And I think what a beautiful picture for us that shows us clearly what this race of faith is about. And so Hebrews chapter 12, 1 says to lay down the weights and the sin that so easily clings onto us. And so when we're running our race of faith and we confess our sins to him and we lay these sins down, we don't stop and pick it back up. Instead, we lay it down and we continue in this race that he has for us. Some of you have stopped running your race of faith. You've gotten tangled up in the sin that clings so closely. And this morning, I want to encourage you to lay it aside and keep on moving. Don't look back at it. Don't circle back to it. Lay it aside and keep running. Hughes also says in this commentary, this image is extreme. If we're to finish well in faith, we must strip our souls naked of everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So chapter 12 continues with verse 1 to say, and run with endurance. You can't run with endurance unless you've trained. Beth Hectone tomorrow is running in the Boston Marathon, which is a pretty big deal. It's pretty cool. She's an attender of our church. And uh, she didn't just wake up a few days ago and say, I want to run the Boston Marathon and then book an airline ticket and then fly out to Boston and pretend like she can run 26.2 miles without any training. In fact, many of you have seen her run around our town. She's been training and tomorrow... She's not going to poop out at mile five. She's not going to poop out at mile 10. Instead, when she crosses the finish line at 26.2 miles, she's going to complete her race. I texted her this morning. We had a group of people that gathered together at 8 o'clock. Any of you are welcome to join us at 8 for prayer in the morning if you want to on, on Sunday mornings. And I said, hey, we just want you to know we're praying for you. We believe in you. We're excited for you. We're proud of you. And she said, thank you. And she said that last night her plane from Chicago to Boston got delayed because they needed one more flight attendant. And then it went from being delayed to completely canceled. She said, the only flight that I could get out of Chicago was Monday morning, which doesn't work because that's when the race is. So they go to the rental car booth and there are no rental cars available. Here's this lady who for months has been training to run this race. And now these obstacles are in her way. So they come across this other family who's in the same predicament, but they found a rental car and they allow Drew and Beth to ride in the backseat of their rental car to Cincinnati, Ohio, to then catch a flight from there. So she texted and she said, I haven't gotten any sleep. And so uh, anyway, here's what I think we should do this morning is just pray for her. Uh, and let's do that right now. God, thank you so much for Beth and for Drew, for the blessing that they are to our church for the dream that you've placed on her heart, and I pray that even now that you would give her rest, that tonight would be the most restful sleep that she's had, and as she gets ready to compete tomorrow, that her strength would be there and that her health would be there. So God, we just pray it, pray that you would bless her, let there not be any more hiccups in her travel. In Jesus' name, amen. Beth is not allowing these obstacles to keep her from running her race. And I just want to say, as followers of Jesus, there are going to be obstacles in our way. And I hope that as followers of Jesus, we'll have the same level of endurance and commitment to say, I don't care what's going to come in my way, I'm going to overcome it, and I'm going to finish the race that God set before me. William Barclay says, that determination, unhasting and unresting, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and which refuses to be deflected, 
Obstacles will not daunt it. Delays will not depress it. Discouragements will not take its hope away. It will halt neither for discouragement from within nor opposition from without. For us to run this race of faith with endurance, we're going to have to train in condition. We've got to lay down the weights and the sins and run with endurance the race that's been set for us. We have to run our race. We have to run the race that he has set for us. We don't run someone else's race. We run the race that he's ordained for us. And as you look to your left and as you look to your right, there might be some people as you evaluate their race that it seems like the wind is at their back and they're on the flats the entire way. And there are others who you look at their story and you're like, man, their race seems to be uphill both ways in the snow barefoot. The beautiful thing is that all of us can finish the race. All of us can finish the race that God has ordained and marked out for us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 continues, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. To run with endurance, we have to lay aside the weight and sin that clings so close, and we have to keep looking to Jesus. And once we have those things off of our life, then the vision becomes clear. We look straight ahead to Jesus. We don't look to the right or to the left. We don't look back at the failures of our past. We look ahead to Jesus. We're looking to the Savior of the universe. We're looking to the one who laid down his life for us. We're looking to the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He started it. He knows all about it. He's the one who knows the most about it in our lives. So we look to him. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's going to help us finish not only with our faith intact but solidified. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The author and the perfecter of our faith will bring it to completion. And fixing our eyes on him will give us the endurance to complete the race of faith successfully with him completing the work in our lives. And so think about this. If our eyes are fixed on him in the race, we're not going to quit. How could you look into the face of Jesus, the one that for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame in Baal? You can't. Now, I'm not a dog psychologist, but I know that in our family we have this miniature schnauzer. Some of you have heard me talk about it. And it absolutely cracks me up that it doesn't matter what he's doing. If I grab one of his toys and I launch it across the room, what's he going to do? He's going to go after that toy. He's fixed his eyes on it, and there's this determination that no matter what's coming at him, he's going he's to go there. I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, across the river. There was this Greyhound racing track. And I don't know anything about it except for that they had this rabbit on a stick that would go around the track, and these Greyhounds would fix their eyes on that rabbit, and they would chase that rabbit around. And here's what I'm just saying. As followers of Jesus, we are hardwired to look to him. We're hardwired to look to them. These dogs are hardwired to look at that rabbit or to look at whatever's flying across the room. And as followers of Jesus, we're hardwired to look to him. And if we'll continue to fix our eyes on him, then we'll finish the race of faith. I had a conversation with Stephanie Fries a number of months back. And she gave me permission to share this story. She's shaking her head over there, yes, because I don't want you to feel like you can't share your story because you think it's going to become a sermon illustration. She gave me permission to share it. She said that she received a health diagnosis and she wasn't happy with God over it. And over the past year, she's been diving into the scripture and is discovering wisdom from God's word to help her keep running this race of faith. And I just love it, Stephanie. I'm proud of you for this. You're like, of any other source that I could look into, 
I'm going to look into the source of truth, and I'm going to dive into that. And I just think that's an encouraging word for all of us, that we would look to God's word to help us run our race. And so when we met, she said, my illness is going to break my family because I'm the glue that's holding it together. And she shared other I uh, statements, and, and how often do all of us fall into this trap of, of thinking that we're, anyway, our, the eyes are on us. And she said that my response to those I statements, which I don't remember, she said, I'm hearing, uh, she said that I said, I'm hearing a lot of I. And so I asked her this question, who really is holding your family together? Who's really taking care of your kids? Do you mean the control that you perceive you have? She said, I was pretty frustrated with your answer at first. But it sat, sat with me through all of this and helped me realize just how much I rely on myself over God. To complete the race of faith, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. For Stephanie, she said, through this process, I've realized just how little I actually know about anything. She said, that's a good thing. It means I get to start from scratch and learn things correctly this time. What an encouragement for all of us, when, whatever we face, whatever adversity that we would continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. She's realizing that he's the one who holds her family together. He's the one who takes care of her kids. He's the one. I believe that fixing our eyes on Jesus also has this element of renewing our mind. So many can focus on the negativity that we're bombarded with, and we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him and renew our minds. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Again, as we consider our lives and what we think about, Brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number three continues and says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When we consider what Jesus went through, he endured so much and will never face what, near what he faced. We consider what he did, and as we do, that it inspires us to not grow weary and faint-hearted. A game, a battle, a race, a fight is often first won or it's first lost in the mind. And so this morning, are you going to fight the good fight? Are you going to run the race of faith? And if you've not purposed in your mind that you're going to do it, then you're not going to do it. Your actions aren't going to back up what you haven't already determined in your mind to do. I know that today watching online or some people here in person that some of you are living on, on the island of someday I'll. Someday I'll become a follower of Jesus. Someday I'll lay, lay down the weights and the sins that cling so easily. Someday I'll run the race of faith. Someday I'll fix my eyes on Jesus. Someday I'll. But it's time to move from someday I'll to today I'll. Today I'll become a follower of Jesus. Today I'll lay down the weight and the sin that so easily clings. Today I'll fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. This commentary paints this picture. He says, if we are believers, we are in the race and we are surrounded by a great cloud of lives whose examples call 
for our best. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the prophets, Moses, Elijah, Samuel, Daniel, Jeremiah, the apostles, Peter, John, Paul, the martyrs, Stephen, Polycarp, Eliot, and Saint, the preachers, Luther, excuse me, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Spurgeon, the missionaries, Carrie, Taylor, Carmichael. He goes on and says, our departed family members, and on and on, and their faces invite us to finish well. Their faces invite us to finish well, to end our race of faith and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you in here today who've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and you say, today, I want to enter into a relationship with him. Maybe there are others of you who've turned your back on him, and you say, today, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. Are there others this morning? Let's stand all across this room. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of somebody who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. So dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect and help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer in person or online today, we would encourage you to text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Again, 319-250-8998. As we use this illustration of running the race of faith this morning, that's your first step. That's the first step to the race. And so we want to encourage you in this, in this race of faith that you're uh, going on. And so please make sure you text the word yes to that number that was on the screen. The prayer team's making their way up to the front right now as we speak. And as the worship team is about to lead us in a song, I would encourage you, if you've come with any need today, that when they begin to play this next song and sing this next song, that you would step out of your seat and come forward for prayer. Let's continue in worship. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.